That should be good. Okay. How are you doing, Pastor Matt? I am good. Coming to the end of a busy week, but we're doing pretty good. How uh how you feeling? I'm feeling good and I'm doing good. Good. Do you know what today is? Uh the twenty eighth. <laughs> Do you know more specifically? Or maybe even Oh, is this a, is this our anniversary? This day, is episode week. Last year on this day, episode one of the Grounded Podcast came out. <laughs> Happy one year anniversary, Happy Noah. Happy one year anniversary, Pastor Matt. And I have a little something to give you as a <laughs> token of my appreciation. Yeah. Well, thank you for making this podcast possible. I am for sure not the one that makes this possible. No, All you are. All I do is sit and talk. Exactly. <laughs> That's what a podcast is. No, and no, no, no. Anybody Matt, sit we need to. We need the podcasty behind the podcaster. I just want you to know how grateful that I am and how grateful everyone is that we have this ability to learn and have someone who can deliver the learning. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Cookies. I have not had a crumble cookie. You have not? Mm. Well, I know you don't like chocolate. Ooh, that looks like a really good cookie. Are you sure? Because that reaction did not sound very... I love chocolate chip cookies. They're my favorite. Okay, good. Yeah. Because <laughs> nope. I asked your wife and she said that you like chocolate chip I do. cookies. Chocolate chip cookies are my favorite cookies. Okay. So I'll bring that home and I'll have it with milk and it won't survive the night. Nice. Okay, that's <laughs> what I'd like to hear. So, Pastor Matt, before we start, yes, I want to give you a question that you weren't prepared for. Okay. So, what is your favorite part about doing this podcast? My favorite part about doing the podcast? Hanging out with you. Really? Yeah. Wow, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> that means a lot to me. Um, I have another question. Okay. Where do you see this podcast in the next coming year? Or what do you hope comes becomes of this podcast? I have no idea. More consistent episodes would be good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe a couple guests. That'd be Having fun. other people do it with us. That'd be fun. That would be fun. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Matt, for everything that you've done. <laughs> I'm very grateful. And I have one more question. Okay. Are you ready to start? I am ready to start. Are okay. we ready? Are you ready? I think I'm ready. Okay, here we go. All right. In three, <laughs> two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Grounded Podcast with Pastor Matt Round. This is our one-year anniversary of doing this podcast. In the back room, we have the person who makes the jingle and my mom. <laughs> More applause. The person who names the jingle, does he not get named? Seth, my Seth, brother. Seth, your brother. There we go. Yeah. And we're thankful for both of them. And we're very... the all... podcast doesn't happen without them. Well... Not the same, anyway. Okay, maybe not the same, but truly the podcast does not happen without you, Pastor Matt. So I think all of our audience and just everyone in your life is thankful for all that you've done. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Thank you. Okay. That's embarrassing and we should move on, but thank you. I enjoy doing this. The best part about it is spending time with you. Second best part is helping people think about their faith. So... Well, that's good. I'm thankful for this. Well, my favorite part about this podcast is really getting to just hang out with you 
because it's a fun part of my life. <laughs> we should keep doing it then. We will. All right, good. Oh, we're not stopping anytime <laughs> soon. You don't even have to worry about that. All right. Okay. So, Pastor Matt, since you love questions, I have a question for you. All right. And it's this episode's topic. So, Pastor Matt, we received this question from a listener. How do we approach apparent contradictions in the Bible? It's an important question that, you know, if you really want to dive deep into the word, you will, you, you can notice some discrepancies and that can be confusing for the Christian and their faith. So Pastor Matt, how would you approach that? Just give us a breakdown. Sure. Uh, it is a good question. And I think there's some things that we need to not do when we think about how do I approach difficult things? And the first thing that we do not want to do is to pretend that there are no difficult things. Uh, to just kind of say, well, uh, I shy away from even talking about this or people who see contradictions or discrepancies obviously don't know what they're talking about, obviously have no faith. That, that doesn't help. Uh, recognize that there are difficult passages, that there are things that are hard to reconcile, especially on just a, an initial cursory reading and that it's okay to wrestle with hard things, uh, that sometimes people of genuine faith sometimes people without genuine faith, but sometimes people of genuine faith come across these things and really struggle. And so to pretend that they don't exist doesn't help anyone. Uh, another thing that is, is a wrong response is to assume that there are no good explanations, that if I see a discrepancy, then therefore it must mean that the Bible is wrong, that it must mean that there are inconsistencies, that there is no way to reconcile these things. And that's, that's swinging way too far the other way. Another thing that we can't assume is that everyone that asks you a question about a potential Bible discrepancy comes with good intentions and good research. Uh, like most questions that have to do with faith, sometimes it's purely antagonistic, which in, in that case, the person's not really looking for an answer. They're looking for a fight. And what they need is the gospel, not necessarily every defense of every Bible passage. Um, but more than that, people will enter something into a search engine and they will type in uh, Bible discrepancies and you'll get a long list that comes up. And what they'll do is they'll pull from a list without any actual research or knowledge or understanding, and they'll just pair it back what some people have said. And so it's an argument that's not only hostile sometimes, a lot of times it comes out of a real ignorance of anything that the Bible actually talks about. And so, and I say that because when you deal with those things, it's important to be patient and kind and gentle and humble, but it's also important to go back to the root of the issue. And that is that people are not just looking for the characteristics of another good book. They're talking about this in the way that they do because this book claims to be something. It claims to be the word of God. And so that really needs to come back to the heart of the issue. And if you have someone struggling with these things, uh, let's make sure that at some point in that conversation, while we defend uh, the truth of God's word, that at some point in that conversation, we come back to the only thing that really matters. And that's the state of the person's soul. If we defend the Bible, but never get to the gospel, then once again, we haven't really accomplished anything of eternal or lasting value. Uh, but when it does come to Bible discrepancies, what do we do with those things? How do we handle uh, Bible questions? And there are a few things that we can do, a few steps that are common that help us work through just about everything that challenges us as we read through our Bibles. Um, this isn't an exhaustive list. We don't cover every example. We're not even going to cover that many examples. I'm going to try to find examples of the broad categories and we'll kind of move through there. And some of these you provided, and maybe some of these are really common to uh, our listeners. Maybe some of these are things you never heard of. I hope it doesn't shake your faith. I hope you see that there are answers to these things. So uh, the most 
important thing to do, I think. When you come across a, a an apparent contradiction in the Bible, the first thing that you want to do is keep reading. Um, so often, we come across something that doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. It doesn't kind of gel with what we would expect or what we would think. And we mark it as a contradiction and we kind of give up and throw our hands up and close the book because it's gotten confusing and difficult. Uh, it's so good just to keep reading, to remember what's, what's great about God's word is that God does not give it to us to be confused, to be, uh, frustrated. He, he gives it to us so that we can have clarity and understand. So we have an apparent contradiction when it comes to something like seeing God. Uh, first John chapter four, verse 12 says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. But if we're reading through our Old Testament in Exodus 33, 11, uh, we read, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to a friend. How do we reconcile those two things? How do we say that along with John, no one has seen God at any time, but then read in Exodus 33 that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Well, if you were to keep reading in Exodus 33 and you get down to verse 17, let me actually read that. It says, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken for you have found favor in my sight and I have known you by name. And Moses said, I pray, show me your glory. So even though the Lord used to speak face to face with Moses, there's an aspect of God that Moses has not seen. He says, show me your glory. And this is just after Exodus 33, 11, where he says that he used to speak with him as a friend. Moses says, I pray, show me your glory. And listen to what God says in Exodus 33, 19. God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But God said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. So as you keep reading, you see there actually is absolutely no contradiction to what John says in 1 John 4, 12. In fact, Exodus reiterates that. John backs up what Moses was told in Exodus. So what in the world does it mean that God used to speak with Moses face to face as a friend? Well, if you are reading the whole book of Exodus, you see that the people come to the foot of Mount Sinai and God descends on Sinai to give the law to his people. And there is terror. There's darkness and lightning and, and thunder. And there is a terror that goes along with that. And the people actually say to Moses, you go talk to God. We don't want any part of this. You go up, you talk to him. We'll, we'll stay down here. And that was good. They weren't allowed to touch the mountain. They weren't allowed to come close. There's a difference in how the people perceive the voice and the word of God than to how Moses receives it. That's, that's what he's saying. When he used to speak to him face to face as of a friend, there's no terror. There's no, there's no division or break in relationship there. Uh, Moses is not perfect. Otherwise he would have been able to bear the glory of God. He's sinful. He's fallen, but he's counted as a friend of God. And so they have relationship and communion there, communion that not all the people enjoyed. But even in that case, we see that there is no discrepancy between what John says and between what Exodus says. And that just comes by continuing to read. Don't stop at the difficult place. Keep reading and see if the road smooths out ahead of you. Uh, the second thing we need to remember kind of goes along with that, but that's, we need to remember things like context. We need to remember the close context of a passage. When we talk about context, it just means what comes around something. Uh, the context can be anything from the few verses that surround it to the chapter that surrounds it, to the book, to the Bible as a whole. But we're going to talk about close context first. Um, and one of the questions that comes up that's really helpful to think about context in is something like sinfulness. 
in Romans 3.23, we know that verse. In Romans 3.23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One of the more famous passages in the Bible. And yet, if we were to go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, he says, We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. So how can Paul say that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and John say that those who truly belong to Christ no longer sin? And the answer for those, both of those is found in the context. If you read Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and you look at your Bible, you see that that actually comes in the middle of a phrase. If you back up to Romans 3.21, it says, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Paul's argument in Romans 3 is this this argument that is driven toward the fact that there is no distinction, there is no partiality with God, that whether you are Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, you fall into the same condemnation of sin, and there is only one thing that can restore you from that. There is only one justification, and that's the grace of God through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. That idea of all have sinned, and we don't usually use it in this context, but the idea of all sinning in Romans 3.23 really is paired with the concept of all that sinned are redeemed by that same righteousness. That's the thrust of the argument. And in 1 John chapter 5, if we were to read not just chapter 5, but the whole book of 1 John, we would find places where it does talk about sin. We would read 1 John chapter 1. Where in 1 John chapter 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then chapter 2 starts, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's writing these things to a people uh, to remind them that they are children of God and that children are called to look like their parents. That family resemblance to be children of light is to walk in the light. That there is no sense where the child of God has a continual habitual characteristic of ongoing sin. Will they sin? Absolutely. And it's in the book. It's in 1 John himself. And he says, what do you do when you sin? You confess it. And you enjoy the repentance and the re- and the restoration that comes with the forgiveness that Christ offers. But again, if you read the context, there's no contradiction between those two. Not only are they making different arguments, but they actually don't overlap in what they're saying at all. They, they, they don't go against each other at all. Paul says that all have sinned and everyone needs that same justification. John says those who sin need to repent, confess, and enjoy the righteousness that Christ offers and then walk in a way that is different. Which, if you were to keep reading through Romans, you would see everything from chapter 12 onward is how to walk in that newness of life in Christ. So that's just the close context that you can kind of work through in the same book that you're in. Uh, There's also helpful thoughts when it comes to a larger context. Um, The idea of not only understanding how a potential discrepancy might get resolved in the book itself, but there's a way to resolve discrepancies when you use the whole Bible kind of as your context. Uh, One of the interesting ones that this comes under is something like longevity. In uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, 
God says, the Lord says, my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. So this is in the context of the preparation for the flood. God has looked at the creation. He sees that every thought and intention of man's heart is only evil continually all the time. Mankind is corrupt and utterly corrupt and God will deal with it. He will judge. He will uh, send his flood to universally devastate mankind other than those that he preserves. And yet we know that as you read through Genesis, that even after the flood, there are people who live longer than 120 years. Uh, you have several examples uh, of where 120 years wasn't the upper limit. And a lot of people read that from Genesis 6 and verse 3, and they say, well, how is it that God can say his days will be 120 years, and then you have people that live longer than 120 years? Isn't that a discrepancy? Only in the sense that perhaps what God was saying in Genesis 6-3 had nothing to do with the lifespan of a human, and it had everything to do with the delay between the warning and when the flood came. Because you remember that when God called Noah, he called him to build an ark, a, a huge structure. And he doesn't have a 3D printer to make that happen. He doesn't have a construction company to make that happen. It's likely him and his sons working with the wood that they had, the tools that they had. And to build something of that size took time. A significant amount of time and we also know as we read through kind of a whole bible context and we come to places like uh, second peter where peter talks about that time as being one not just of god's coming judgment but of god's patience in second peter chapter 2 he says that god did not spare the ancient world but preserved noah a preacher of righteousness with seven others and when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly that at that time, Noah is called the preacher of righteousness. While Noah built, Noah had a very specific function, and that was to preach, to warn of what was coming. And that actually fits in the context of Second Peter really well, because then in Second Peter chapter 3, he talks about the fact that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Uh, when Genesis 6-3 comes, God sees the wickedness of mankind. And he says, my spirit will not strive with, will not contend with them forever. I, I cannot abide with this measure of sin and corruption forever. Nevertheless, you have 120 years. I'm going to give you time to repent. I'm going to give you time to hear the warning from a faithful preacher, Noah. And the tragedy is that only Noah and his family get on the boat. That at the end of that, at the end of God's patient delay, there is still so few that respond and corresponding to that you read second peter and you see that now the times are bad times are dark things are difficult and we wonder you know sometimes where is god what are you waiting for well god's not slow he's patient he was patient in the days of noah he's patient now judgment is coming it was coming then judgment is coming now peter ends that way in chapter three he says the day of the lord will come like a thief the heavens will pass away with a roar the elements will be destroyed with intense heat the earth and its works will be burned up so that judgment is coming. But until then, the Lord patiently waits. And a biblical context helps us understand that, again, there's not a discrepancy between those two passages. In fact, there's great harmony in those two passages. And so first thing we do, we keep reading. Second thing we do, we consider the context, close context in the paragraph, uh, in the chapter, in the book, larger context in the biblical framework altogether. And then one other thing that you can do when none of those seem to iron it out, uh, is to go look at other resources. You are not the first one to ask this question, I would guarantee it. And there are good and godly 
resources that people have put together that help us through these things. And sometimes you can't iron out what's going on just by the biblical record there. If, if you were to read the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, as Jesus is uh, coming to Jericho uh, on his way to the cross, this is just before the cross, Matthew and Mark, uh, there's a blind beggar by the side of the road that Jesus heals. And Matthew and Mark say it's as he's leaving Jericho. Then he heals Bartimaeus as he's leaving Jericho. And then in Luke 18, it says, as he's drawing near to Jericho, there's a blind man sitting by the road begging. How is it that Jesus heals him on the way out in two of the gospels and on the way in, in the other gospel? Reading the gospel accounts doesn't really iron that out. But there's a lot of great resources that talk about the archaeology of the area and the fact that there were two Jerichos. You have an Old Testament Jericho and a New Testament Jericho. And between them is exactly where this happened. That is, he's leaving the one site and approaching the other. That's where this happened. And you can still see that if you go today. There's the, anyway, that's another argument, another, another t- a plug to go to Israel and see these things for yourself. Uh, all that to say. There are answers to these questions, and they're not answers that call us to a blind faith. None of this says, well, you just have to kind of squint your eyes and plug your ears and pretend that it all makes sense. On the other side of that, you can do a lot of research, and some of these things are still difficult. There are still good questions that we wrestle and contend with, uh, but nothing in the Bible provides discrepancy or contradiction that assaults God's character. And the deeper you dig, rather than shaking your faith, the deeper you dig, the more research you do, the more books you read, uh, the greater you'll find your faith being strengthened. Um, So again, I hope that's helpful. There's lots of things to do, lots of steps to do. And the more you read God's word, the more you begin to put these things and these pieces together on your own as things connect because you say, oh, I've seen that before. I've read that before. I understand what God is like and how he's moving. So ultimately, it's just a great argument for saturating yourself with biblical truth. Thank you very much, Pastor Matt. And that's a great way to start another year of the podcast. If you want to listen to more of our podcast episodes, visit our website, thegroundedpodcast.com. You may have noticed, as Pastor Matt mentioned at the beginning, that our delay between episodes has grown larger. And that's because we're running out of questions. So please email us your questions, groundedwithmattround at gmail.com. We are so grateful and we answer every single one of them. So yeah, please do that. Um, next week's question we'll be answering also comes from a listener. How can I be not of this world? It's a good one and we're looking forward to it and we hope you are too. So make sure you tune in next week and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.